It's Tuesday, July 9th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Federal prosecutors on Monday released an indictment against billionaire financier Jeffrey Epstein, charging him with sex trafficking and creating a vast network of underage victims for him to sexually exploit. The indictment alleges that he would pay girls for massages that would then become sex acts and then pay the girls more money to recruit other girls. The story has a lot of details and even has connections to the current Labor Secretary, Alexander Acosta. Kate Bricolet, senior reporter at the Daily Beast, was in court for Epstein's arraignment and joins us for details. Next, records shared with the Washington Post are showing that the FBI and ICE are using state driver's license photos as a go-to place for facial recognition searches. Agents are scanning the faces of many Americans without their consent or knowledge. Between 2015 and 2017, Utah's DMV database was alone the subject of nearly 2,000 facial recognition searches from outside law enforcement agencies. Drew Harwell, tech reporter for The Washington Post, joins us for how your state's DMV database is turning into a facial recognition goldmine. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Epstein sexually abused young girls by enticing them to engage in sex acts for money. The underage girls were initially recruited to provide Epstein with massages and often did so nude or partially nude. These massages became increasingly sexual in nature and would typically include one or more sex acts. Joining us now is Kate Bricolet, senior reporter for The Daily Beast. This is a story that was developing all weekend long. Jeffrey Epstein, the billionaire financier, has been charged with running a sex trafficking operation that brought dozens of girls, some as young as 14, to his Manhattan mansion. According to this indictment that went out, they said that he uses fortune to create a vast network of underage victims for him to sexually exploit. There was charges that he was exploiting young girls and then getting them to recruit other girls. There's all sorts of crazy stuff. Help us get our head around this. What, what's going on, Kate? The thing that's new about this is that he's being prosecuted in New York, but the allegations are hauntingly similar to those that he faced in Florida about a decade ago. And so the idea is that Jeffrey Epstein used his employees, his associates to recruit underage girls to come to his mansion and give him massages. But once they arrived to his mansion in Palm Beach, these supposed massage sessions actually turned into sexual abuse and molestation. He paid the girls hundreds of dollars each visit. And then he paid his victims to recruit even more underage girls. So it is, you know, sort of a sex trafficking pyramid scheme that he was accused of running in Florida. And now authorities in New York are accusing him of doing the same thing but at his Upper East Side mansion in Manhattan. But the motive and and the methods are all very much the same in both cases. The thing that's crazy about this story is obviously, okay, so he's connected to a lot of really famous, important people, Bill Clinton, President Donald Trump, even famous lawyers, Alan Dershowitz is kind of wrapped up in all this stuff with him as well. But tell us what happened because... When this was going down in Florida, he got some sort of sweetheart plea deal that let him just plead guilty to two counts of prostitution and 
everything basically went away. He got a year in jail, but even that, he was getting out six days a week, I think, on work release. So it was just a crazy deal that got made. This is back in 2007. He's a powerful financier, as you said. He has a little black book filled with famous people, including, you know, the associates of the Clintons, assistants of the Clintons. He had Melania and Donald Trump in his little black book. I mean, he knew everybody. And so it's no surprise that he had a high-powered legal team that stepped in to make sure that these charges didn't result in serious charges for him or serious prison time. Essentially, he had enough money to make this all go away. So back in 2007, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Miami, which was then led by Alexander Acosta, who is now Trump's labor secretary, and his office had actually prepared a 53-page indictment against Epstein. Epstein's high-powered lawyers, which included Dershowitz, included Ken Starr, intervened behind the backs of the victims in this case. So we have a situation where this very powerful man with his all-star legal team is collaborating with the U.S. Attorney's Office, with prosecutors, to downgrade these charges. On the other side, you have victims that come, you know, they're vulnerable. They come from underprivileged family situations. And Epstein's attorneys made it out so they weren't credible at all. I mean, they created dossiers on the victims. They provided the victims social media pages that perhaps indicated drug use or just had unseemly (laughs) photos or things like that. And so, you know, they not only attacked the victims in the case, and there were allegations that Epstein sent people to follow the victims and to follow the victims' families, but Alexander Acosta has said in the past, in a letter that he's written, that prosecutors were under attack, that they were looking for different peccadilloes of prosecutors that could be exposed. So it seems from the outside that prosecutors just wanted to get this deal done. The U.S. Attorney's Office now says, well, many of the victims in the case received a settlement from Epstein. They didn't have to pay for their attorneys. And, you know, I guess the U.S. Attorney's Office thought it was okay that Mr. Epstein pleaded guilty to two state charges and ended up serving a year in jail. And as you said, that jail time was pretty laughable. I mean, he was in the private wing of a county jail And most of that time was spent on work release. So it really is a miscarriage of justice. He was able to leave that facility six days a week, 12 hours a day to work on these whatever work release privileges he got through that deal. That deal also shielded any co-conspirators who may have helped arrange the girls coming to his places. A lot of people are kind of sweating it right now because of these new charges. Who knows if they could be connected to all this all over again. One of the interesting things about this is that the case is being handled by the U.S. Attorney's Office of Public Corruption Unit, not the Human Trafficking Unit. So what do we know about this weird staffing thing? I mean, we later learned that this deal that Alexander Acosta worked out was illegal because they did it behind the victim's back. They didn't tell them until after the deal was made. Is this any indication as why this unit is heading this investigation up? Reporters did ask that at the press conference that was held by the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York. The U.S. Attorney, Jeffrey Berman, said not to look into it too much, that there wasn't necessarily a big reason for that. However, you know, there is speculation out there right now that 
well, if the public corruption unit is heading this case, could there be other charges coming against Epstein that might not necessarily relate to sex trafficking? That remains to be seen. And I think in court as well, the U.S. Attorney's Office said that there could be more charges. They weren't certain that there would be a superseding indictment anytime soon, but they did say, you know, it's possible. And another thing to add to that is the FBI has launched a hotline for victims of Jeffrey Epstein to come forward. And that also could lead to even more charges against him. Some of the victims have already been speaking out about this. They're, you know, applauding these new charges. Some of these details are, are pretty bad, but help us with some of this stuff. What exactly what he was doing? He was arranging massages. A lot of times the girls were nude and then it progressed from there. And he obviously paid them hundreds of dollars after that. I can't say that it's the same with the New York case, but back in Florida, I mean, the allegations were completely stomach churning. I mean, he had these girls perform topless or nude massages and, you know, he could become more and more aggressive with each of these encounters. I mean, some girls were abused multiple, multiple times. And so you have this guy that's abusing the same victims over and over again having those victims bring more victims to him. And in some cases, it was alleged in Florida, not New York, that he raped some of these girls. So it wasn't just molestation, but that he actually had had intercourse with them. So it's extremely disturbing. We don't know everything about the New York case, but we see that Epstein appears to have a pattern. The allegations against Mr. Epstein have been out in the news, you know, since 2005 when he was first arrested. The indictment also alleges that Epstein knew that the girls were underage because some of them said how old they were at the time. You were in court for the arraignment, how did Jeffrey Epstein look? And obviously he pled not guilty to this. Tell us how he looked and then tell us what his defense attorneys were saying, because they're alleging that the deal we made in Florida was a global solution. And this is just kind of a, they're trying to do a do over basically. When Jeffrey Epstein walked into court, he was wearing a Navy jumpsuit or Navy prison clothes. He strangely had on some neon orange sneakers His hair was disheveled. He looked tired. Most of the time he was paying attention, staring straight ahead at the judge. He kind of had his hands folded, pressing his hands against his face, but not a ton of emotion, looked more fatigued than anything else. And his attorneys argue this is just a redo of the Florida case for which he already pleaded guilty and he already served his time. And so his legal team essentially has argued that prosecutors are just repackaging old allegations, old criminal charges, and repackaging them as sex trafficking charges. Epstein pleaded guilty, I think, to solicitation in Florida. Those were state charges. And so his attorneys are saying, wait a minute, you guys are just repackaging these old, ancient allegations and making sex trafficking charges out of them. And New York prosecutors are saying that this agreement only applied in Florida and that there's case law that permits this new indictment. So, I mean, this is going to be a long legal battle just over that even. It's going to be interesting. We're going to be hearing a lot more on this. The prosecutor's office did say that these victims are based in New York, that the charges relate to victims who are in New York. So there's sort of the implication here that they're not necessarily regurgitated charges, that this is something that took place in New York, in his New York mansion, and that's why they're pursuing the case.
Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how this develops. And then if anybody else gets caught up in this, as we said, any of the co-conspirators that have alleged to take part in all of this. Kate Bricolet, senior reporter for The Daily Beast. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. In this way, they've created their own de facto search engine of people's faces. And that's interesting because the police and the federal investigators have never really had something so robust as that to be able to see the face of everybody who has a driver's license in in a single state. Joining us now is Drew Harwell, tech reporter for The Washington Post. Police have long had access to fingerprints, DNA, other biometric data taken from criminal suspects. But something that's going on right now is the FBI and ICE are going through state driver license photos. And it's this goldmine for facial recognition searches that they have going on. As Sometimes it's as simple as just sending a message saying, hey, can I go through all your photos? And uh, some of these local DMV in a bunch of different states are just letting them go through this stuff. Well, what do we know about this? Because there's a lot of concern always with privacy. A lot of these people that might have their photos in the DMV, you know, they don't have any criminal history, but they're also being subject to these searches. So what do we know about this? From agents like those in the FBI and ICE and some of these other investigative agencies, they can take what's called a probe photo, some person they want to find, some suspect in in a potential criminal investigation. They can send it to an official in one of these state DMVs or some other state agency and ask them to scan just like any old search engine for whether that person is in their records. And we've sort of known that these searches were going on, but we didn't really get a good sense of the scale of how many searches were being done and the level of detail of information that they get back. And so, you know, in in a number of states, an ICE agent can look through an entire sort of group of DMV records for a whole state, just looking for either a suspect or a witness or somebody involved with a crime. And they can have that DMV official give them back all sorts of information that can help them pursue this person who may not have any sense that they were being scanned for in the first place. So it's a really interesting use of the technology and it, and it raises all of these privacy and legal questions about how appropriate is it for any one government agency to be able to use the DMV records, which are full of images of innocent people. How is it appropriate for them to use that data to push their criminal investigation somewhere far away? Yeah. And for somebody working at one of these state DMV agencies or whatnot, or these offices, you get a call from the FBI, you might think, oh, this is something really major. It's an official FBI request. For the most part, you're just going to comply with it. So it just kind of happens so easily a lot of times. Give us a sense of some of the numbers. How many searches are the FBI, ICE, other federal agencies doing? Yeah. And in some of these cases, the DMV officials had worked with agents or officers from external law enforcement groups often. So, you know, they had sort of a rapport over email with some of these agents. And, you know, we have records for a couple states, although a lot of states have not shared what they're doing. We, we do know that more than 20 states across the country are working with the FBI specifically to share facial recognition results. But you could see from, from states like Utah between 2015 and 2017, the FBI and ICE alone made more than a thousand facial recognition searches. So, you know, they would send in a photo, they would get either a possible match back or some sort of information from the DMV official. So that was just one state and just a couple of different agencies. And we do know that the FBI has made hundreds of thousands of facial recognition requests over the last 
eight years or so from a number of different federal, state, and local databases. So all that goes to say that this is something that's becoming increasingly routine, increasingly easy for these agents to pursue. And yet we don't have good congressional input from these lawmakers saying, this is how you should do a facial recognition search the right way. So all of these searches are happening in this void of regulatory rulemaking. And some lawmakers are starting to push back a little bit on that and saying, maybe it's going too far. In these 21 states that have deals with the FBI so they can scan the driver's license photos, they do say that it must be relevant to a criminal investigation to allow that search. But is it the DMV person that is doing the search or do they allow the FBI to comb through those photos? In the cases we've seen, the DMV official will do the search of the DMV database, but effectively they become sort of an intermediary for that search. So maybe the FBI or ICE agent goes to that DMV official, sends the photo, sends any other sort of related documents. In some cases, it's like a court order or a subpoena supporting the search. And then the DMV official will write back and say, hey, we found somebody or no no matches found. And so, you know, in this way, they've created their own de facto search engine of people's faces. And that's interesting because the police and the federal investigators have never really had something so robust as that to be able to see the face of everybody who has a driver's license in in a single state. It's really powerful information. And voters across the country have often really resisted this idea of a consolidated identity database that would be running across the country. People feel that's a little creepy. So to know that officers and investigators have found a way around that anxiety and have built their own national database using some of these states, I, I think that's really sort of interesting and kind of alarming to to see how quickly it's grown. Yeah, I mean, the scale is very large. The GAO director said that the FBI's facial recognition search has access to local, state, and federal databases containing more than 641 million face photos. That is a ton of people right there. So what are lawmakers doing? From your reporting, there was a few lawmakers that were really angry at this, both Republican and Democrats. Just these searches are being conducted without anybody's knowledge or consent as far as the people whose photos are in these databases. So I know that the lawmakers were pretty angry about this. Yeah. And it's one of those rare things in Washington that both Democrats and Republicans seem to agree on, at least in the hearings that we've had. I mean, they've gone to Capitol Hill. They've talked to some people from the facial recognition companies, but also from the government agencies that have depended on them. And for the most part, the lawmakers have said, this is going a little too quick for our taste. It's, it's something that local lawmakers have pushed back on. It's something that we in Congress have had reservations about. And yet through these deals with, say, the FBI and the local state DMV, they've still gone ahead with a facial recognition system. So we've had some hearings this year where there has been sort of a unified resistance against these from lawmakers. There's another hearing on Wednesday where some folks from the Secret Service and the TSA will be testifying about facial recognition. And the word from both Republicans and Democrats has been that it's time for some legal guidance on what's the right way to make a search? Who can be searched? Should people be given some sort of consent before they're included in one of these searches? What would that look like? So we're in this Wild West period where there's no huge regulation. And and so I wouldn't be surprised if they would come out with something with a little more teeth. But you never know. I mean, something like this can be complicated. It can have a lot of different state restrictions. So it just sort of remains to be seen. Federal agencies maintain that this is an investigative tool and that they still do their due diligence afterward. And we've seen already places like San Francisco banning their local police departments from using facial recognition technology. So yeah, I mean, this is something that is going to continue to evolve. Drew Harwell, tech reporter at the Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. 
Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.